following Days of Thunder pay-per-view special is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Hey there, and Merry Christmas, Thunder Buddies, from us here at Days of Thunder. We're back for a Christmas Day special like no other. I am your host, your festive host, Dave Ryan, and I am joined, as always, by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this Christmas season? I mean, we've already been through this. This is the second time we've introduced the show, so you know I'm not feeling very Christmas, Dave. Thanks, thanks Lee. <laughs> Inside baseball. Appreciate that. We've we, we got to give the listeners a peep behind the scenes. Got to give no, the people what they want. We're so professional. Yeah. Uh, but because this is a Christmas <laughs> special, we went all out and we've got some guests here. Uh, some guests from, in many ways, a spiritual sister podcast of ours, having to uh, sift through uh, the detritus of a company that uh, sometimes involves Vince Russo as well. That being total nonstop action wrestling, uh, we are joined by the boys from the You've Gotta Be Kidding Me podcast. It's Garrett and Liam. Guys, how are ye? Hello. Uh, he- hello. I'm so <laughs> nervous. <laughs> Welcome aboard, guys. Welcome to uh, the madness that is Days of Thunder. Yeah, the broad general shared suffering we have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- th- this is going to be more like a counselling session than... <laughs> yeah. Than a podcast, yeah. The Vince Welcome Russo support to the group. first annual meeting of the victims of Russo. <laughs> yeah. Oh Lord. And the the worst part is like we we haven't even started the Russo era yet, and we're already starting to suffer. So we we can see it coming up ahead. Um, do you guys have any tips for us for surviving? Just shout oh. at the top of your lungs every time he's on screen. Oh shit! It's Vince Russo. <laughs> it makes you feel a little better inside. It certainly makes Mike Tanay feel better. <laughs> I was going to say, is that the best Mike Tanay call of all time? Oh, easily. Easily. Because <laughs> it's real. <laughs> it comes from like a guttural place. And it's real every time we say it too. <laughs> oh, um, look, we are here to talk about I, I i tried you know i wanted to get a podcast with the four of us on it i thought it'd be fun i i really enjoy your podcast guys and i was like oh let's let's do something where we cross over it's like what is a good crossover um spiritually speaking of wcw and tna and i thought what better than the early 2000s it's not quite wcw because it's dead it's not quite tna because that doesn't exist yet but there's a lot of familiar characters from both in it promotion uh wwa and their first pay-per-view the inception um and gentlemen 
before we start, I can only apologize to all of you for this because this uh, is my choice. I have never in my life watching a wrestling show willed a wrestling show to end more than this one. <laughs> just sitting there when there was like four matches left being like, please, please just end. End. I'm looking at the match times, by the way. I'm looking at the Wikipedia match times. And I refuse to believe that most of the matches on this match show are five minutes or less. They weren't. I refuse to believe it. That's a lie. Garrett, Garrett this show is so bad. I almost willed this podcast to end. <laughs> I mean, we must uh, have reached the same point at the same time because it was right as those last four matches were happening that I just started wandering around my lounge room begging for something else to happen. <laughs> what like a natural disaster or like uh, anything like there was like some pretty decent thunderstorms going on and i was like please just drag my washing off the line so i have an excuse to go outside right now anything it was have have any of you watched any wwa before or, or what's no. your your level of <laughs> boy why would anyone watch this hey lee you're gonna be watching the rest of the wwa shows do you think um no <laughs> not until the next one of these not until dave makes me <laughs> and i'm gonna next christmas a, yeah i'm gonna need a good long break uh, from wwe after this i the reason it was on my mind apart from like um you know it being kind of like a a meeting point between wcw and tna in my head is the fact that i went to one of these shows um when wwa were touring they actually mentioned the show i was at on this pay-per-view uh in dublin in like november of 2001 um and it's funny we'll get into it but it, it was basically about half of this pay-per-view they just redid it uh on the tour um and yeah it was like it was the first wrestling show i was ever at and you know some 20 years later it's amazing that i, I kept with the wrestling after that first impression live uh, <laughs> it clearly it gave you the taste for the bad wrestling and you just couldn't escape it, it did i got to high five bret hart uh because they actually brought commissioner bret hart on the tour with them um yeah. Oh, the goal of this company to not only be like, we're going to run this show once, but then we're going to do it again somewhere else. How dare they? On multiple different continents. Yeah. This is some sort of like international war crime. This should not be allowed. <laughs> there should be repercussions for that. <laughs> uh, Liam, obviously we, we brought you on uh, to answer for the, the, the nation of Australia. Um, and yes. their, their contribution to professional wrestling here with this. Um, what was, do you have any memory of WWA? I, I, I knew the name. Um, I had never seen a show. Um, more importantly, I knew the name Andrew McManus. Yeah. That's, it, I mean, like in the same way that I guess you would hear a, uh, you'd hear a Vince Russo or something, right? Like with that kind of, I don't want to say vitriol, but like that, the surrounding sludge that comes with a name is the same kind of thing that you would hear Andrew McManus's name uttered in Australia. Where like, you knew what he was kind of doing and you knew what it was about, but you weren't like pleased to, to hear it. <laughs> I, I was in, I, like, 
for the time, I guess I'm kind of impressed by like it drew a crowd and looked like now granted you know we'll talk about technical issues and presentation issues and stuff like that but you know broadly speaking it kind of looked like a death rattle era wcw show um you know i when i hadn't until last night i hadn't started watching this video and i was expecting it to look even more low rent than it came off so i guess you know as far as money mark promotions that are a bit of a train wreck go the presentation was reasonably okay it had the look of a major show it didn't yeah. have the production of a major show oh, at least God, not the no. version we were watching but yeah. it had the look of a major show and to be fair like this happened in 2001 i was four i wasn't gonna <laughs> i wasn't at these shows yeah but had i had the opportunity to see a show a wrestling show of this scale live it being in australia i probably would have gone to all of these re- like even if they were this bad just because there was no real alternatives around here well yeah. I, sh- I should hope that no four-year-olds are at these shows because uh oh yeah let me tell you the, the <laughs> things that are said over the microphones are things that are said and things that are seen on this show uh beggar belief uh, should be should remain unseen yeah like there is definitely like there is some high high unintentional comedy on this show that i that i loved and i think maybe the tipping point for all of us is when um a lot of the really squirmy uncomfortable things start to be said uh on commentary during interviews and and, and oh yeah well, look we'll get into it uh let's start off um with Jeremy Borash uh who is the in many ways the the public face of WWA i remember him at the first time i ever uh when i went to this wwa show he was the face of it he was doing commentary by himself over the house mic in dublin as i recall uh, at the time uh, and he does it over the house mic tonight but he introduces uh on behalf of andrew mcmanus and the international touring company they proudly present the inception of wwa and then we get the uh the australian national anthem uh sung by ajakwa who i have never heard of before uh liam again you were four years old at the time but it were a jaqua a big deal i am unfamiliar with this um i i had not i've never heard of this group before every other pop culture reference on this show though i do understand so i can help you out on those ones good because Um, like they they basically presented uh, this girl group in a way that like australia these are your spice girls and i had a sinking suspicion that they were not on the wikipedia page for a jacket they said their biggest achievement is a single that reached number 70 in the charts Jesus. I guess say their biggest achievement was an appearance on a WWA pay-per-view. There's a, this show has got some great um, offshoot Wikipedia articles, I have to say. Like, if you, have, have any of you managed to go to the Andrew McManus Wikipedia yet? Oh, at least he was punished for his crimes by being sentenced to 20 months of community service. <laughs> you know, for the oh. alleged importation of 300 kilograms of cocaine and money laundering. Oh, no, so I, it wasn't for booking this show. No, I refuse <laughs> to believe it was for the money laundering and cocaine. But like, the judge is like, listen, I watched this goddamn WRA show, and even if you didn't do it, you were doing community service for this. <laughs> you have hurt me, sir. I like to imagine... The money laundering was for this show. 
No, he was trying to relaunch the WWE. It happened in 2015. So he's just like, oh, I need the WWE back. Um, imagine that you are so desperate for this show to make the air that you commit crimes in order to finance it. No. Alleged to, crimes. Yes. I, I have to. <laughs> the world needs to see my vision for professional wrestling so badly that I'm going to risk my own freedom by committing a series of alleged crimes. Oh, dear. Um, we get a, a video package introducing the show with like, if you didn't know this is the early 2000s, the soundtrack to this video let you know it's very like just shouty, angry white man music. Um, the set really looks like uh, Lee, the like the last year or so of Nitro, you know, like the post. Uh, yeah, that, that's exactly what I've written down. It's, yeah. it's like the, the late Nitro. Uh, stage setup, but like really condensed. There's like yeah. very little ramp way around. Mm. Um, but yeah, they absolutely just raided what was left over. Yeah, which I think they must have sent down to the people uh, to to the Jarretts post this because this also looked a lot like the first NWA TNA shows when they were running the big venues. Do, do you know what actually might have happened? Didn't they have Nitro in Australia? Yeah, in 2000. Do, you think, do you think they were so broke they just fucking left? Yeah, it they all left there. it behind. I'm pretty sure that's what's after happening. Yeah, when they were doing WCW Australia. Yeah. yeah. Um. The as well something that was kind of like uh, perturbed me for the night is that like so they they had their um computer graphics uh for like the you know uh, on the screen with WWA on it, but like. It, was it just me or like, because they had like, you know, the WWA logo and there's a red background and there was like, you know, digitized girders going across the, the screen. It looked very much like a Confederate flag to me, which um, yeah, maybe I'm re- maybe I'm, I'm I'm thinking too much about the WWA here, but it, it unsettled me a little bit. Um, that would be very fitting for 2001 Sydney, to be fair. The... Uh, <laughs> The production issues start and they're coming thick and fast here in this very first segment because we hear nothing for a few seconds and then is scheduled for one fall. Random pyro goes off to absolute silence and then a very generic song plays as Bret Hart hits the ring. And I'm immediately flooded with memories of Bret Hart being the commissioner of the WWA. And... You know, Lee, uh, we've had to endure I've firmly given up era Bret Hart on our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you excited to see Bret here? No. <laughs> <laughs> because I knew he wasn't wrestling and he comes out to what I can only describe as even worse music than he has in WCW. His WCW theme was a vague knockoff of his WWE theme. Mm -hmm. His WWE theme is now a vague knockoff of his WCW theme. (laughs) So it's like degrees (laughs) of knockoffs now. Um, But like, there's no even graphics on the screen to tell the crowd who's coming out. It's just music plays and they sit waiting until Brett walks out. So it doesn't even get a pop. So you bring Bret Hart all this way and he doesn't even get a pop. He he gets he gets pyro and then he gets ballyhoo, but not at the same time. 
this fucking company already like even the first segments and he comes it. out with what looks like an under 14s regional boxing championship belt uh to address the crowd and um <laughs> i hate this belt so much it's so ugly. Like, <laughs> the first note of the night that i wrote down was shitty little boxing belt <laughs> yeah do you, do you think he um do you think andrew McManus just like saw this belt in a pawn shop because there's no way do you like if you're deliberately like if you're designing a belt from scratch, this is what you go with in in 2001 for a wrestling belt. My actual like guess is that they thought like Australians wouldn't know what a wrestling belt is, but <laughs> boxing is quite big here. So maybe that they thought, oh, they'll, they'll understand the concept of a title if it's a boxing belt. But they have an actual title for the Cruiserweight title. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. It's the Cruiserweight title. <laughs> As always, the Cruiserweight title doesn't matter. A, le- a legacy definitely carried over from World Championship Wrestling. Um, something I really enjoyed about this was uh, this promo that Brett delivered took some unexpected turns. Um, <laughs> he... he gets a shoe in at WCW first about how, you know, he's out of there. Um, I did appreciate probably the truest line Brett has ever said in a promo in his life right before his little pivot is when he said he had great fun in his year not wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) I truly believe that. And he's honestly upset to have to be dragged out of his year not wrestling to do this show. And and then Garrett, he um, he starts talking about something else. Yeah, he sure does. So he's there and he's like, you know what? I'm here in Australia for the first time. It's like, I'm very happy to be here. But I actually came here a couple of weeks ago to do press for Australia. I was on Rob McManus's show. And the September 11th terrorist attacks happened. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, Brett, okay. And he's like, this was a very hard time for all of us. It was a very hard time for me personally because I was stuck in Australia. And then JB chimes in on, on the commentary. Yep, yep, it was a very hard time for us all. It's like, thanks, JB. <laughs> I was a big fan of when he said stuck in Australia. Sydney went, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> he said the name. Um, like, there was like a should we should we woo this? Yeah, I like I I if I were, you know, in attendance in Sydney that night, I would certainly resent the idea that uh Bret Hart saying I had a very tough time on 9-11 because I was stuck here. <laughs> Um, I mean, I would say the same thing if I was stuck in Sydney. He he said, um, what was this line he had? He said, it was a tough time for me and all the good persons in the world. (laughs) He he wants to thank everyone for supporting him personally during (laughs) (laughs) 9-11. But also all the bad people in the world, they were perfectly happy, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, who can holler in the whole time? Take that bad people of the world. You've been told by the commish. Um, he then says in maybe his least truthful line ever that he's not just a token commissioner. Uh, and then he st- then he sticks the boot into WWF. And it's weird, like, because it's, you know, it's 2001. And when he mentioned WCW, there was a huge boo. And then when he mentioned WWF, there was also a huge boo. So I like... Is it just a crowd of homers that, like, you know, a couple of shows into the existence of WWA because they'd done some house shows before this pay per view that everyone's like, no, WWA or nothing? I think it's just my people. 
we, we've never we've never liked <laughs> the yank promotions <laughs> this is ours we're we're proud of this we don't want any of that shit coming back here we don't want the uh, well, what, what was it they did the following year the global warning tour the wwf oh. did uh, you know what i think it could be like notoriously like australia was a wcw country yeah like they did more the more touring over here they came over here more often it was like you were more likely to if you're talking to slightly older generations than i that if they were to talk about wrestling they'd probably bring up goldberg before they brought up steve austin so maybe it was just like an inherent wcw bias so like boo them because they were bad but then also boo the other side because they were the other side the whole time uh Lee, Brett mentioned something that I, I don't know if you knew this, but did you know that Brett went undefeated for his entire career? I guess Lee didn't know. I guess Lee didn't know. <laughs> Lee is actually stunned into silence. <laughs> Garrett, Lee's actually you... going through cage match right now. <laughs> Garrett, did you know that, that Brett went undefeated for his entire career? He said he... He won the WWF title and no one ever beat him. And that he also won the WCW title and no one ever beat him. Yeah, Brett has never lost a championship in his life, ever. Any of them. <laughs> That's a, just an incredible stat. I love it. I love that. Uh, but I, I did love this absolute horseshit promo. Um, <laughs> because he finishes off with the most, like, you know, insincere line of all that he basically calls this this clearly already money mark promotion run by a madman. He said it's a promotion with integrity. My favorite thing is like they just dump all the bad booking on Brett. It's like this entire show was Brett's idea. And like this could not be further from Brett's vision of wrestling. And here he is being like, oh, yeah, this is an promotion with integrity. And all these athletes are going to have great matches. And then you watch this whole thing. You hated well, this, the, didn't you, Brett? At the end of this 25-hour show, the last 30 minutes of them is just shitting on Bret Hart. So there was clearly a, a company directive. Incredible. Incredible. We get um, uh, we get introduced to our commentary team now, which is Jeremy Borash and Jerry the King Lawler, which mm. dates this show very specifically. <laughs> Why uh, could he not have been working for WWE at this point? Oh, this is like, you know, for all the people who say rightfully that Jerry the King Lawler was horrendous on commentary during this period of time. This is Jerry the King Lawler without Vince in his ear. And it is so much worse than I was expecting. He's, he's horrific. And him and JB is such a weird team just like to, to look at. Because like JB is actually the creative force behind this company as well. So if we have anyone to blame for everything, it's, it's Jerry Borach's fault. So, oh, uh, yeah, I the, the one thing I will say, I like this is like, you know, we're really scraping for a silver lining here is I don't remember King being too racist on this show. <laughs> yeah. Like it was mainly the old sexism and homophobia uh, high spots that he was hitting for himself. Uh, I don't recall too much racism. He didn't yeah. have enough time to get to that yet. Yeah. Yeah. If the, now if there was a fourth hour on this show. Now, we all would have been absolutely deceased, but <laughs> he would have gotten around to the racism eventually. Um, what do you guys think of uh, the way the commentary was done here in that like commentary was being done over the house mics as well as on the pay-per-view feed? I, I, I hate, hate it. it. Okay. <laughs> I, <didn't think. laughs> I hate 
live commentary is my biggest pet peeve. I don't like it when I'm at shows. I don't like it watching shows. I think it's completely useless. But to be fair, I don't really like commentary. Like, half the time with half, like, especially English commentary, I'm just like, I'd rather just listen to The Ring at this point. It takes a lot for me to actually like commentary. But even, like, it, it kills the crowd, doesn't it? Because, like, they're listening to the commentary instead of, like, reacting to the wrestling. So, like, half the time they're just, they're reacting to nothing because they're listening to commentary. Although, yeah. one great part of it is, every time King does a joke and it falls flat, you can hear it fall flat. <laughs> yeah, you can hear King's, King's skits die on their arse, which is great. Um, The thing that really, you know... So there was one thing I really liked about it, one thing that really bothered me. The thing that really bothered me was like the weird echoey sound to commentary all night because you're hearing it feedback through the house mic. Um, and there were a couple of moments of horrendous force feedback while they were trying to speak that you could hear the crowd go, Whoa! Um, but the thing I really loved about it was consistently across the night, wrestlers having to pretend they couldn't hear it. <laughs> Like as they're being slagged off or or something like that, they they had to just act like no, I I can't hear any of this. So I I appreciated that at least. Um, gentlemen, what a card we have tonight! We are being introduced to the seven deadly sins seven match tournament for the boxing belt, and <laughs> of course, because this is two thousand and one, every match must have a stipulation. How close were you guys to just turning off the show when you heard that every match has to have a stiff? Because they started the show running down the card and I was just yeah. like, oh no. Because not only are all the matches terrible looking on paper, but they're like, oh, and this one's a guitar and a pole match and this one's a dog collar match. Oh, we've got a battle royal. Except no, for the road dog codan match. They're like, this is a hardcore match, but it's also a dog collar match. Because I think they realized that they kind of abandoned the dog collar stiff during the match. So tried to rebrand it as a hardcore match. <laughs> but uh, even just running down the card was horrible. No, actually, no, they were talking about the four ways to skin match while Road Dog and Conan's graphic was on screen. Yeah. So <laughs> it was like, oh, the rules of this match, you have to strip person out of their clothes. While the, the graphic for Road Dog is there, it's like, I don't I don't want to see Road Dog stripped yeah. out of his clothes personally. Yeah. I, I will say I found it distressing when they said skin to win match and I was looking <laughs> at Road Dog's face. <laughs> It took a moment. It was a, it was a really confronting image to be a part of. I, that's was, that's when I was like, maybe we shouldn't watch this. <laughs> I was I was I was starting to regret things at this point. But uh, you know, when they run down the card and you go, the match of these graphics that they've shown me, I have the most faith in is Devon Storm, the former Crowbar versus Norman Smiley. Mm-hmm. You had Luna Vachon versus the Vampire Warrior in a black wedding match. Um, <laughs> there's the graphic of Conan versus Road Dog for the skin to win match, and then of course we have the chosen one himself, Jeff Jarrett versus front row Nathan Jones, the, the ace, the ace, the Colossus of Boga Road himself, and I thought I I never thought on Days of Thunder, I would be reviewing a Nathan Jones match, but here we are. You're welcome. Man <laughs> who has participated in the Undertaker streak. Thank you very much. Please put respect on Nathan Jones's name. Damn straight, yeah. Attacked in a shower uh, on the WrestleMania pre-show, as I recall. Hit the For best a- spin kick in the world when he did his run-in, to be fair. Yeah. 
for yeah. a significant amount of time the most famous Australian wrestler ever. <laughs> yeah, get out of here, Tenniel Dashwood. Get out of here, the Iconics. It's still Nathan Jones. He might still be one of the most famous because he's gone on into acting now and he was in like Mad Max and stuff like that. He's like, he's not most famous for his wrestling, but he might still be the highest profile Australian wrestler. I, I choose to not believe that. <laughs> That's not your head, Cannon. No, I, I can't accept that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we open this show with a cruiserweight ladder match between Hoovy and Psychosis. And when I tell you guys, I fucking lost it when Hoovy's music started playing. <laughs> I did as well. I was like, they let him back. <laughs> One, Hoovy was back in professional wrestling doing the uh, the juice stick. And two, he apparently came out to the Macarena. Yes. But it was like some often, because like this theme song had lyrics, which very much threw me off because it's like, oh, it's the Macarena. Wait, no, those are lyrics that aren't the Macarena. So did someone just like make a song to the Macarena? Because it was, it was I, like, we're not taking the piss. It was identifiably the Macarena. Yeah, 100%. Like it was an instrumental Macarena. And then just like, the remix started. I'd like to think this was the biggest song in Australia in 2001. <laughs> Australia didn't off. actually get the regular Macarena. They got <laughs> this. It was because of this, actually. <laughs> oh. I, I could not believe that they got Hoovy back in Australia after what he did last time. And then uh, JB begins to bring it up on commentary and King's like, what the fuck are you doing, mate? <laughs> they definitely had to sneak him in, didn't they? Maybe he maybe he just got left there with all the WCW set equipment. Like he's just in one of the production trucks. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. it. Um, one thing that was really impressive to be Lee about this match was how within a couple of minutes in a match with ladders and a very early blade job, there's absolutely no heat left in this building already. Oh yeah, nobody gives a fuck anymore. <laughs> it's it's just so bad because you know psychosis is gonna just kill himself for no reason. And I mean, the guy blades in a fucking in a ladder match forced on the show. Like why? There is like multiple people who either did like very painful looking bumps or bladed on this show and I couldn't get my head around why you would be fucking bothered given the finish of the match Devin Storms is the most egregious oh god yeah um, I, I just don't I'm... it's really funny you know like Liam you mentioned that like you're kind of it's a WCW country but in terms of like you know international touring brands it's still few and far between that big time wrestling is coming to australia at this time so you would think that this crowd would be absolutely rabid for anything but at first i thought it was poor placement of microphones in the crowd that we couldn't hear them reacting but like you look at this audience and within a couple of minutes they're pretty bored yeah it seems like I, I get the impression it wasn't a lot of hardcore wrestling fans there. It felt like it was just people who heard there was a big event and let's go out for a night and do some and hang out and like go to this sh- weird wrestling show. 
Yeah, it's like the entrances and finishers crowd. And, you know, anything in between, they, they don't really give a shit. And given, um, like Brett said, he was the one doing all the media. It might have been a bunch of people like, oh, Bret Hart. All right, we're cool about this Bret Hart guy. He's a big star. It's like, who the hell is Juventud Guerrero? Um, yeah, the, maybe the, yeah, maybe the most famous thing they know who before is when The Rock buried him on Jericho's debut. Um, or was it? No, it was a couple of weeks after his debut. And he says, you beat somebody called Juventud. <laughs> Well, he did do the finally the juice has come back to Australia shtick. So there's like, that's the rock. Yeah, him and his, me- <laughs> him and his mesh top had a, a classic the juice promo at the start of this. Um, it's funny, though, that like, you know, Lee, you mentioned uh, Sikos is still taking some really hard bumps, doing a blade job. But in spite of the fact that like he is uh, putting his body through a lot, neither one of them is moving particularly fast in this cruiserweight match. Like it's very much cruiserweight match in treacle yeah it's so slow moving like you just get the impression that they, they don't care they they care about as much about this as the crowd do um they're here for their for their pay and that's it um i also love that they decide that this match is for the international cruiserweight title but the champion gets to move on in the tournament anyway yeah i didn't I, I, like at the end of the match they said, you know, who he moves on in the world title tournament. And I had absolutely no idea. I was baffled. And, but then you know, he doesn't. So then he doesn't anyway. Yeah. I was like, it, it, you know what? It plays into how little companies like WCW cared about the Cruiserweight title. Yeah, he's the Cruiserweight champion. But much more importantly than that, he moves on to the second round of this stip tournament. To where a real star can beat him, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, speaking of them moving around in slow motion, Hoovy was blown up as fuck before even what the second ladder gets introduced about five minutes into this match, and he's already sucking air before that ladder comes in. And Garrett, this becomes evident uh, very much when Hoovy goes to do an air Hoovy off the ladder. Oh dear God! So he, I, I had no idea what he was doing because they had a ladder set up like dangling on like as a platform on the rope. So I was like, is he going to do like the Jeff Hardy slingshot over a ladder? Cause the other ladder was facing away from him, like the two sides, each side. And he climbs the top of the ladder and he, he tries to do, as you mentioned, an air hoovy, but loses his footing. The ladder goes out from under him and he just face plants. <laughs> he, just, he just falls forward kind of onto psychosis. They both fall over. And to be fair, in the biggest pop of the night, the ladder then fell on top of them and hit the referee in the head and the crowd were very amused by that. Yeah, he kind of, he almost, when he face plants, he almost headbutts Psychosis for real on the <laughs> way down to the floor. Uh, psychosis, it kind of has to commit to selling it. The ladder falls down and in perhaps my favorite moment of the entire pay-per-view, which says a lot about the pay-per-view, we have a 10 second period where the referee can't decide whether not to sell the ladder hitting him (laughs) or to oversell it. I think the ref is the toughest man on the show. Yeah, the the ref should be the champion here. (laughs) He gets up, then he bumps, then he kind of rolls around, then he realizes he needs to get up again. It was it was a whole. He went through an existential crisis when is that just, ladder hit him. Is it just me, or does this ref look like a young Todd Sinclair? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see yeah. it. I can see it. Yeah, because I was looking uh, initially when I saw him, I was like, "Is that Todd Sinclair?" I was like, "What the fuck did they fly him to Australia?" <laughs> um, Todd Sinclair with a mane of hair. 
Uh, Hoovy does a powerbomb off the ladder, 450 splash, and wins the match, uh, at which point I find out that this was part of the world title tournament and was absolutely aghast. Uh, we get a moment to breathe from this fast-paced action as we are introduced to the Starettes, which are the <laughs> WWA's Nitro Girls. Um, my favorite thing about the first Starrettes segment is that when the Starrettes go to dance, the house lights come down and the camera angle they had as the house lights come came down essentially shone a spotlight on empty front row seats. <laughs> Which this I very building was there. empty. <laughs> it really was. I think so. Wikipedia says there was uh, eight thousand five hundred people in attendance there. Um and I am I definitely based on the sounds in there, I am I am skeptical of that. Although the capacity of the building is apparently uh twenty-one thousand. So poor. Still better than modern day raw. This is very true. Um <laughs> I wrote that when uh, the Starrettes were dancing, uh, there was an aggressive takeover on commentary by Jerry Lawler's erection. There is multiple aggressive takeovers by Jerry Lawler's erection on this show. Yeah. Uh, this was, yeah, a harbinger of things to come. This was kind of, he was still relatively reined in at this point, I think. Like, this is not too far from what you would have heard of Jerry Lawler, like, peak attitude era on commentary. It was later where he really, yeah, he went OTT and yeah, on Raw and stuff. But like li- listening to him on this show, I'm really glad he never joined NWA TNA because he would have got away with so much more worse things on that he show. He would have destroyed the wholesomeness of Don West. Yeah, oh, couldn't have that. Absolutely you know, it's like bad it. when Ed Ferrara is like the more wholesome choice of the two. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, when talking about the Starrettes, though, I appreciate their inclusion here because it also adds another great through line from WCW to NWA TNA, where you have the Nitro Girls to the Starrettes to the NWTNA cage dancers. <laughs> All think- three of these promotions have deemed it impossible to run without having women dancing. Do you think after this pay-per-view, like... Uh... Jerry Jarrett came up with the idea of the cage for the dancers because in case they ever did employ Jerry Lawler, they needed to protect the women from him. <laughs> it's for their own yes. safety. It's not to keep them in, it's to keep him out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett, were you there when uh, OTT advertised dancers at one of their stadium <laughs> shows? Oh yeah, that was a good time. Did <laughs> Did that ever make the VOD? <laughs> and half the crowd got covered in flammable liquid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that was uh, something. Yeah. It was like an arrest development when Job's fireball trick didn't work and he just sprayed Michael in lighter fluid. <laughs> it's just the dancers came out and they were supposed to be doing like fire breathing when they were dancing or something, mm. wasn't it? Yeah, and they just ended up throwing that like that that mixture of liquid for poi all over people in the front row, and then fires yeah. started going off. So you genuinely could have had part part of the crowd uh, go ablaze during the opening <laughs> of a show. You want to talk about a hot crowd? <laughs> oh, Jesus, dad jokes. Malone is here. Um, Got me stagger for nothing. Do you know what the, my my what I loved about this is for some reason 
uh, JB and King felt the need to do play by play on the Starrets. Like I like how they were. It was like an auction. They were like <laughs> they were haggling about which woman they wanted. <laughs> In early NWA TNA, isn't JB very um, like Lawler? <laughs> Horny, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> But it's funny listening to him beside actual Jerry Lawler because no one comes off like no one has come off more like I have never spoken to a woman in real life than JV during these segments. Because he's like, oh, yeah, me too. I am very aroused. <laughs> <laughs> that That's being clipped by somebody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we go backstage and we have Nathan Jones and Rove McManus uh, running into Lenny and Lodi. H- hang on, excuse me, you forgot the best part. Okay. The main carryover from WCW. Right. A limo arrives. Oh, yes, a white limo. And it's Rove in the front row, Nathan Jones. And, uh, you know, I've heard of, uh, we're going to our Australian translation correspondent now. <laughs> I've Good heard- night, mate. I, I have heard of Rove McManus. Um, was this a big get for WWA? Um, Rove is a big name um, and was for a long time. Uh, he fell off. I, I, I would have to guess it'd be like more of your 2010s, but for your, your early 2000s, late 2000s uh, talk show host, he was probably the most notable name in Australia. This oh. is the Ryan Tuberty you're saying. Yes. Just thank you, Liam. Is there thousands of little roves all over Australia named after him? Um, honestly, I mean, maybe. <laughs> he was he was he was very popular. He had um a very uh, not successful American expedition where he tried to do his own show there. Yeah. But um, yeah, rove, rove. He's a get. He was a name. He was responsible for the launching of a bunch of Australia's pop culture. Uh, moments where we had um, our prime minister on the show talking about shaking sauce bottles and it was a great time really it was it was a cultural touchstone for the country I the nature of his relationship with Nathan Jones is unclear to me across the show are they just like great mates is he his manager he's definitely his hype man um because I think, if I'm not mistaken, the only thing Nathan Jones actually says for himself on this whole show is "Yeah." Uh, <laughs> it was a very like he was happy with himself when he said that "Yeah," though it was a very wholesome "Yeah." Oh, look, the delivery of the "Yeah," I have absolutely no problem with. <laughs> he did a great job saying "Yeah." Uh, we also, and I'm sure this uh, triggered actually all of us uh, when the camera panned after Lenny and Lodi. The camera panned to one Disco Inferno. <laughs> How is he still Disco Inferno? I wish he wasn't. Th- they were like, we can't use your name, so we're not going to use you, and you don't exist. Goodbye. Now we haven't entered the worst phases of Disco in WCW yet. D- disco but, with a Q. But I very uh, recently listened to you, gentlemen, have uh, a a borderline breakdown over. <laughs> 
disco. We are very much in the worst of disco in DNA. A whole month built around disco. And there's a whole like show running angle on this built around disco. He's on the show like 17 times. And I'm like, no, why did you do this to me? You can't escape the disco. I can't. I I truly felt like I was watching an NWTNA pay-per-view that just kept going and kept going and kept going. Everyone's here. All except Brian Lawler, really. I I love that they have they have Brett and they have Disco and of the two of them they were like no Disco's the one we need to put in more segments he's the star here tonight he's the he's the big big guest he has what like two pre tapes a match and then a segment before the main event which is like the segment before the main event is my breaking point that was just he's like, also he's also involved in the hardcore match oh he is God he never goes away oh. <laughs> Next up, 20 years later, Garrett, he still hasn't gone away. It's very annoying, isn't it? (laughs) Next up, we have two dogs in a dog collar match. It's K-Dog, Conan with one N on the the graphics here versus Road Dog with one G on the graphic. Definitely legally distinct there with Road Dog with the single G. Yeah, something about it with the single G just made me very sad. (laughs) Why didn't they just call him Road Dog, D-A-W-G, like K-Dog? That would have been too much thought, I think. No, they should have added also, another G. It should have been Road Dog with three Gs. Like Taz. Yeah. <laughs> I was very sad um, about Road Dog as well, but for other reasons. Mainly yeah. that he was here. Yeah. I mean, the, the person that most upset me in this match was Slick Johnson, just because I hate Slick Johnson. Oh, and there was a lot of him on this show. Um, We, uh, it's... <laughs> Conan comes out singing along to his team. Uh, Road Dog comes out doing a little bit of his stick. Uh, perhaps Conan's biggest babyface move was attacking Road Dog during his promo. Uh, <laughs> just let's get this match started and let's get it done with. Thankfully, it was weird because like he got he cut off Road Dog's catchphrase and got booed, but then started like doing some sick burns about why he got fired, and the crowd were like, you know what, we might cheer you for that. Yeah. I love that on this WWA pay-per-view where like Road Dog is a member of the roster and in the world title tournament, uh, Conan slags him for specifically not being gainfully employed. He's like, look at every other member of DX. DX are gainfully employed doing stuff on TV and you're just slumming it down here in Australia with me. Yeah, yeah. He's basically less than an hour into this debut pay-per-view saying, this company doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really is like the late era WCW, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I like I wasn't I I am never too eager to watch road dog matches anyway, but given the time in his life that this was, and that it was against Conan, who had very much you know checked out mentally on, on having good matches at this this stage, I was not looking forward to this. And also it was a dog collar match where the collars didn't stay on. No. And they like they used the one like, you know, uh, infamous dog collar spot, the hanging over the ropes. They got to that within one minute. They'd already run out of other ideas. Um, what did you think of uh, Conan showing up with a title, which I can only presume was the AAA title? Um, I don't even think he was AAA champ at this time, was he? They just call him the Mexican heavyweight champion. The champion yeah. of all of Mexico. The champion of their hearts, the champion of the people. Yeah, I couldn't tell because like this is a 
fairly dodgy VHS copy we're clearly watching because of all the scan lines uh, on this video. Uh, I couldn't tell what, but I think, yeah, I think you're right that it was supposed to be the AAA belt. Uh, does like Conan just go down to Mexico and decide I'm champion now and just walk away with the belt <laughs> and brings it wherever he's going because he did the same I thing. I think the WCW. answer is yes and still to this day. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely my understanding of how Conan operates. Um, yeah, you mentioned it, Lee, but the, the collars already falling off within about a minute. Uh, I didn't even write anything about like spots in this match or anything. I just wrote, God, that was shite. Uh, <laughs> absolutely no effort from either man put in here. Again, this was, we have to go out and do five minutes. Uh, let's just get out of here. Um, there was no heat again. You know, it, it's, it, it's one of the, it's one of the things that is so grating about doing a store, a tournament that's all stips. You have something like a dog collar match, which is supposed to be like a culminating stip of a blood feud and you throw it out here. And I guess their blood feud is they're both uh, men who uh, go by the moniker of being a dog. <laughs> they're really dogging it. This one, this one, um, I, my two notes for this match were three. Okay. Explodes which is just for the boys, you know, and road dog holding the collar around his neck as he wins the match is the funniest thing in the world to me. Cause the idea of a dog collar match is that it's this brutal match and you're beating each other up, but also the idea that just, Oh no, it fell off. Uh, I'm winning. I'm winning. I'm winning. I'm winning. But the, my favorite part is he hog ties Conan with the chain and then realizes he's to hog tied him so much that he no longer has enough chain to walk through the four corners. <laughs> yeah. So he like, he begins to loosen the dog collar because I'm pretty sure he starts choking himself <laughs> trying to walk from corner to corner because he's used too much of the chain hogtying Conan. I've never seen a pair of wrestlers do the walk to the four corners with less urgency. Because <laughs> he was too concerned about the collar falling off. Yeah. Just like moseying around, yeah, taking a nice scenic tour of the four corners here. Um, and you know what? These are probably two of the higher paid people on this show. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Not earning that fuck you disco cash, but he's the big star, obviously. <laughs> um, Road Dog wins and proceeds in the tournament. I'm sure we're all very excited about that. Uh, we then get another Jerry Lawler's erection segment backstage as we get pervy shots of the skin to win competitors. And in a foreboding, uh, this is so the worst parts of the early 2000s, we get a a wrestler in drag and, you know, the, the punchline is, oh, look, it's someone in women's clothes with a bulge. Jerry Lawler could not be more upset at this. Yeah, he was. He, he, he almost to the point of he saw this this bulge of a man's penis and nearly took a bump on commentary. <laughs> he sold it that much. Ah, <sighs> now we have the the relative. Uh, you know, like I said at the start, where we saw the card, this was the only one where I was like, this might not be horrendous. I was wrong. But, you know, uh, Devin Crowbar Storm versus Screaming Norman Smiley in a hardcore match. Um, this match, apparently not in the tournament. Uh, no idea why, but it's not. 
Um, Lee, you know I hate walking brawls. And this is pretty much what this match was. Oh, they were walking. <laughs> yeah, no, this fucking... This match just felt like it went on forever. Like, it reached a point where you thought, oh, finish is coming up. Nope, still going. And they just, like, half-paced, shitty weapon shots, just do not care. And, yes, like... This is like two guys on your local indie show who are trying to recreate that interminable Orton versus Edge WrestleMania match. Um... Yeah, that's actually a good comparison. And I also hate that Screaming Norman keeps screaming every time he hears the commentators mention Screaming. Yeah. And I didn't just, even correlate that, but that makes so much sense. It, yeah. it, honestly, every time you hear Lawler say, oh, you know, he's screaming, Norman screams. And it's just so, it's just, oh, it's awful. It's That's so bad. bad, but in terms of like Norman is the one person who uh, can accept that he can hear the in-house commentary. He is automatically the smartest man on the pay-per-view. That is true. Um, Liam, do you know what the local sports team attire Norman is wearing? I googled it, so I do. Ah. <laughs> to, to me, it looked like an LA Lakers kit, and I was like, I don't think they play in Sydney. <laughs> okay, so uh, this... Uh, jersey was for the Sydney Kings, um, which they they wear the Lakers colors. <laughs> okay. Um, I thought it was interesting that he went for a NBL, the National Basketball League, uh, jersey instead of you know if he was going, if he was trying to appeal to the Australian audience, like we do have our own national sport. <laughs> And yeah, I feel like a, I assumed it was an Aussie rules. Yeah, I thought it would have made sense yeah. like as an Aussie rules guy. And Sydney is a has a big team, the Sydney Swans. Um, so it, it would have made a lot more sense and probably would have got a better reaction had he worn a Guernsey. But no, um, I thought that was a very interesting choice because I don't think many people give much of a shit about the NBL. Um, I hope he went into a, like a local sports shop and he was like, what jersey that I can wear will get me the biggest reaction? And he just had one dude who's like a huge basketball fan. It's like, oh, it's definitely this one. <laughs> or he saw the American coming in and saw a chance to shift the stock he couldn't sell. <laughs> yeah. Oh, these basketball jerseys that we definitely haven't had here for like 15 years. Ah, that's yeah, it prob- probably wasn't even the current jersey. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, but it's I, was very, I was so perplexed by it. <laughs> Like, why didn't he come out in, like, full cricket attire with a cricket bat? Like. This, the, I, but, like, I, I don't think I can express how much. Like, the, the Swans are a big team. <laughs> like, it, it, it's like, um, I, you know, if, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to Chicago. I have, I have the options to come out in a Bulls jersey, but I'm not going to. And that Dave might remember this. I'm pretty sure the Socceroos were like big around the turn of the century. Like they were getting decent around that time, weren't they? Yeah, but like I, I, I guess so. But there's the thing is, like I, I don't know because from an Irish perspective, I'm like, um, I know there is like a, a weird crossover between you know Australian sports and Irish sports because obviously around the turn of the century is when, um, like 
international, international rules. rules was huge here. I remember I used to look forward to going to those games every year that they were in Ireland. Um, this like mad 22nd century sport that was like a smashing together of GAA and Aussie rules. That always like it was basically just like a like a thirty man fist fight. It turned into. He could have he could have gone. Um, he could have used an NRL jersey, rugby league jersey. Could have gone with the mm. Sydney Roosters. Yeah, could have gone no. with an Australian rugby jersey at that stage too. Yeah. yeah. Um. Hey, Garrett, what yeah. did you think of this mass classic? Oh God! There was a first of all the first of Jerry Lawler's many lines relating to his penis. He at one stage said, "I do what the voices in my pants tell me to do." <laughs> so thank you, Jerry. As if yeah. we didn't know that. I hear voices in my pants. They talk to me. <laughs> he certainly does. There was a moment where they were brawling up on the stage, and JB said, "They're a good eight feet in the air." And then they stepped off the stage, and the stage only went up to Crowbar's hip. And you're like, <laughs> well, JB. <laughs> He's, he's, he's trying. Give you know, give him a break. <laughs> I hadn't actually thought of the horrifying implications of uh, Jerry Lawler having a haunted penis to now. <laughs> haunted penis. <laughs> his horniness isn't his fault. It's haunted. <laughs> now all I can think of, you know, that episode of The Simpsons where Homer gets snakes here. <laughs> Yeah. So somebody's going to inherit Lawler's penis. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't think that would pass any sort of medical check that you'd need to to get a, a penis transplant from, <laughs> from Jerry the King Law. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> In the unrelated news, was... I have an excellent horror movie pitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> this Halloween. WWE Studios presents. <laughs> Who would be the the WWE superstar that would play the role of the person receiving <laughs> receiving Jerry the Lion King Lawler's penis? Lance Storm. <laughs> and he's penis. Yeah, that's why he gets like that. Um, the ladies' man gimmick. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to think it ha- it would have to be somebody like who because I don't really watch WWE at all anymore. But like who would be notorious on the roster for basically Seth Rollins for taking any old shite angle that the writers come up with for him? I was like, we yeah, got this great idea, shout, Seth. I think. We got this great idea, Seth. You are going to receive a haunted penis transplant. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Or, do, or does it go to, like, Randy Orton and add a whole new horrifying context to his WrestleMania jizz entrance? <laughs> it goes to AJ Styles to add context to that shirt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. Garrett, save us. Keep talking about the match. The finish. The finish is my favorite part. Oh, don't, <laughs> don't talk about Oh, no. <laughs> You made a big splash. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> White Christmas. The finish actually was a big splash. <laughs> Save us, Garrett. So Crowbar cries the cage <laughs> or the stage. And he has Norman Smiley on two tables. 
and he does a gigantic splash <laughs> off of this like 20 foot stage and everyone's like oh good something good in this wrestling match happened but then Norman Smiley pins Crowbar <laughs> for reasons <laughs> I have no idea why he took a giant splash from 20 feet in the air and got pinned so clearly Crowbar blew his load Hey. <laughs> Can I say my favorite he broke line? his wood during, hey. during the finishing sequence My favorite line of commentary The whole night happens Where Crowbar spends an absolute age Constructing the two tables One on top of the other on the stage And Jerry asks something about Like what's going on And <laughs> Borash says And I quote At this point Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> This is the point in the, the show where JB also started feeling the existential dread that was watching WWA Inception. Yeah, it was really starting to tell at this point. And, you know, things would only get worse from here. Um, Disco uh, in, is backstage again, and he had demanded security earlier in the night. And instead of getting two suits, he got two fruits as the bananas in pajamas make their appearance on the show. Gigantic pop. Yeah, well, must be said legally distinct again, just like Road Dog. They're they're fruits and suits, not fruits pajamas, and suits, bananas, yeah. bananas in pajamas. Yeah, but they are wearing they sleepwear, like... as Jerry the King Lola said later on in the show. Uh, Stevie Ray, straight shooting Stevie Ray is backstage interviewing Commissioner Brett, and Brett has an announcement. He's decided that the battle royal that's coming up next is now open to everyone, and by everyone he means anybody that's contracted to WWA. So staff and Stevie uh, specifies do uh, roving reporters count as well, and he says yes. So Stevie gets ready to go out for this match, um, and it's time for our battle royal. I like that Brett's reasoning for this was because, like, oh, man, everyone else has gone out there and killed it so far. I think they deserve a chance to get in the tournament. And it's like, what fucking show are you watching, mate? No, sorry, Liam. This is a promo promotion with integrity. You might remember from the opening segment. So I, I trust Brett's judgment so, here. So all these people that are contracted to WWE can be in this battle royal. I'll accept the commissioner, who's, you know, the best wrestler on the roster. Yeah. Yeah, but why the fuck would he want to be in the battle yeah. royal? <laughs> Even still, like even still, with all his health problems, Brett is still twice the worker of anybody on this show, at least twice the worker. Um, so Buff Bagwell is out first, and JB's brain completely short circuits trying to uh, mention Buff's catchphrase about being the stuff. He just can't get it out, no matter how many times he tries. Uh, King buries him over it. Uh, and speaking of people's brains short circuiting, uh, in the opening maybe 90 seconds of this match i think jerry lawler has to have the concept of this battle royal explained to about three different times it happens to stevie too because red heart's like everybody's in this match and stevie's like listen Brett, i need you to explain the word everybody to me <laughs> so then by the time they get out to lawler lawler's like so everybody can be in the match jeremy right and jeremy's like yep everybody can be in the match everybody you're saying here now jeremy <laughs> and they do that at least like three more times before they finally do the spot where they get up yeah, and like everybody that comes in, like every time a new person comes into the match before they do, so like, you know, when Buff comes out and then when Stevie Ray comes out, like it promotes a fresh round from Jerry Lawler of, wait, anybody can be in this match? Um, so yeah, um, Disco comes out, him and Buff start wrestling, Stevie Ray comes out. I will say, Stevie Ray 
probably the he might have the best physique of anyone on this show. He looks absolutely enormous. And he's treated like the biggest monster in the entire world. Yeah, he gets the giant spots in the match. Yeah, yeah, he is treated in this battle royal like Kevin Nash books himself in WCW. <laughs> then we get Crowbar and Norman come out again, still trying to sell death from the last match, but not really either. Uh, then we have not, uh, Storm's just catching his breath after his big explosion. That's all. Yeah. <clears throat> He's just recovering. He needed um, a quick power raid in the back, and then he was going to come out. Ready, ready for round two. This is electrolytes. He's fine. <laughs> uh, now, with the concept firmly embedded in his head, King decides he's going to get involved in the match and brings Borash in too. Um, I do love uh, the little moment here of Jerry Borash going to town on Stevie with body blows. <laughs> With the the yeah, those little punches, yeah, man, I'm gonna get him. Yeah, it's proper scrappy do stuff. Yeah, is this Borash's only ever match, or did he have a match in TNA? He got beaten up a lot in TNA, but I don't remember him having him him having an actual wrestling match. Oh no, he did. He he wrestled Tyrus once, didn't he? <laughs> like fucking what's Brodus, his name? Brodus Clay. Oh, yeah. yeah. He Jesus. did a big dive on Tyrus once. So yeah, JB has wrestled. Oh, and he did the Josh Matthews match where he did a big splash of the thumbtacks. It was Josh and Steiner against Joseph Park and JB. So JB's had a couple of matches. What? He's wrestled uh, four anyway. times. Jesus. There's a he deep... had a no contest with EC3 in 2015. There, there's, a, there's a future pick your poison. I was going to say, a future pick your poison or some good Patreon content for you guys. A good deep dive on the wrestling career of JB. Listen... If we get to the stage where we have to watch Abyss and Jeremy Borash versus Josh Matthews and Scott Steiner, we'll have bigger problems. <laughs> that match is actually good, though. <laughs> yeah, you would say that. Yeah. It has Scott or Shark Boy and James Mitchell cameos. What more do you want in life? <laughs> actually, I take it back. Eric Bischoff versus Jeremy Borash is worse. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> it's an match. It's a three-second match, but it is a match. Oh, God. Uh, So Stevie very gently eliminates Jeremy Borash here. Um, Now the refs are in. Then the cameraman is in. And then Crowbar just gets eliminated and decides he's the commentator for this match. He's probably the best commentator on the show, to be fair to him. Yeah. Apart apart from the recurring bit, he does go, ah, Yeah. Actually, no, the best commentator on the show is the two minutes before Crowbar got on commentary where there was no commentary commentary whatsoever. Uh, I was going to say, pure bliss. Yeah. Um, An unidentified woman arrives in the ring and immediately attacks Jerry Lawler um, (laughs) before he gets in a really creepy cat fight with her. And she just leaves. She eliminates herself. (laughs) That's the the thing. Do you know what? Like, if, 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 if Jerry Lawler was uh, approaching me, I would eliminate myself from a match and possibly immediately leave the country as well. Uh, we know so. she did. She just she had to get out of there to go have a fucking shower to wash the grime off of her. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Can't blame her. Can't blame her. Um, all the guys plan to attack Stevie, but it's a ploy to trick Disco into doing it, which I did like that bit. <laughs> like, oh, no, they did it twice. I was just going to say, I love that they did it twice. <laughs> yeah, they did it twice. And who was it? Like, the, the, there was a second person who Norman fell for, fell for it the yeah, second time as well. Yeah. 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 Oh, God. Uh, then the fruits and suits arrive. We're down to Disco <laughs> and Buff. 
The fruits and suits are coming down the stairs. Coming down the ramp. Or was that crowbar? (laughs) That was just for Lee. That was just for Lee. As Disco attempts the village people's elbow, the fruits eliminate Disco. Buff then eliminates the fruits and wins. King then pursues the fruits backstage. Oh, this was like, all I could think about this was like a battle royal. It has to be a really good way to lose a bunch of money on this kind of show. Mm. Well, there was only like four wrestlers actually in it. And most of them had already worked on the show. Yeah, fair enough. But we don't know who the fruits were. So, yeah, they had to be locals, right? This is, this is something as well, like, I really thought, right, after this segment, I was like, okay, and Jerry Lawler pursues them to get to the bottom of it. I was like, okay, so the show running angle is going to be, we're going to find out at the end of the show who the fruits were, and it's going to be, like, recognizable people. And, Rick and you know, Scott Steiner. Big pop. Uh, <laughs> no, we never find out who the fruits are. Like, unless this continues on on the second pay-per-view. I was just going to say, this is going to be the, the true line through all the pay-per-views. Yeah, this Until is eventually... Long- Oh shit, it's Vince Russo. <laughs> it's two Vince Russos. I'm seeing double. Four Vince Russos. <laughs> Next up, we have Guitar on a Pole. It's Double J himself versus front row Nathan Jones. Um, Rove cuts a promo backstage. All Nathan says to it is his yeah. Um, Double J does his usual slap nuts promo. Uh, Rove comes out and he cuts a promo in the ring. Uh, a little homophobic. Uh, I was going to say a, a big old baby face homophobic Rove promo. Let's go. Um, but you know what? Rove is actually like in this segment is apart from the homophobia, obviously is like a welcome presence on the show because he actually seems enthusiastic which is Mm. we can't say about anybody employed by WWA. Like he's really into his promo and he hops on commentary and he's really hyped as well. Well, Um, well, Dave, this is something we've come across in WCW already is that the celebrities and guest stars are always more enthusiastic than anyone that has to be there week by week, except Dennis Rodman, who's just, you know, off his face. That's because like Rove doesn't have to be there for the next one. Exactly. Um, I've also, um, I've, to my understanding, and just from listening to his appearances on other things, I believe he's a wrestling fan. Yeah, it, it definitely does seem that way. Like he doesn't, he doesn't do the big time thing some celebrities do of making it very clear, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that they're above this. Like he's actually, he seems genuinely enthusiastic about it. And I mean, God, you, you'd have to be. Um, do, do you know involved with this. I, I had a thought that like if this show had taken place like what 15 years later yeah you would have had Karen and Jeff Jarrett here like pissed throwing Vegemite at the fans <laughs> and I think uh, that would have been so they'd so be big better. baby faces you're saying yeah yeah like Hey, look, Lee, you're speaking to somebody who was a member of the crowd at that infamous WrestleCon where uh, Karen was trying to fight members of the audience. <laughs> I watch that show regularly yeah. for that moment. It is truly, you, a, it's, it's like at least once a year I'm, I hit that match up because I find it so immensely funny. Yeah. Some people revisit the best matches of all time. Oh no, yeah. not Liam. 
Yeah. <laughs> no. I was so bummed out that like, uh, well, you know, by the whole premise of that, <laughs> like uh, of that match. But I was so bummed out sitting in the crowd because me and a couple of the guys were like, oh, this is really cool because this is the only show we have tickets for this whole weekend that like Candice LeRae is booked on. And we get to see Candice LeRae wrestling. None of us have ever seen her wrestle in person. That would be cool. And this is what she was involved in in that match. And I just like I felt bad for everybody in the audience in the match. Oh, anyway, um, I you know what? I remember Nathan Jones's WWE run. We spoke about it a little bit. Apart from the greatest spin kick of all time, it was a poor run, you could say, for somebody in a major company. He was not fantastic. And you know what? I always thought that I could use to adjust my perspective of Nathan Jones. And that is to go back several years further back in his development when he was even more green and watch a match of him versus Jeff Jarrett. That's what I really needed to reevaluate Nathan Jones. Well, I mean, for me, Nathan Jones is a hero because this is a guy that stuck stuck it out in WWE until they did the tour of Australia and then just went, nah, you know what? I'm not going back. Fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) You've you've already given me a lift home, so I'm just going to stay here. Like an old WCW set. Like Hooven, dude. (laughs) Just him, Hoovy, and the ring gear. Um, Garrett, this match was just a load of bollocks in the ring, wasn't it? Yes. (laughs) It's just, I have no thoughts about this wrestling match. There was a guitar. It was on a pole. You got the guitar off the pole, and then the match ended. Yeah. <laughs> Rick well, took me... a hell of a bump from that fucking guitar, though. Yeah, I, that, that looked awesome. I will say, I would strongly suspect Rove wanted to take the guitar bump. Like that, you know, maybe it was originally going to be Nathan Jones to take it, but he, because he's a genuine wrestling fan, as you said, Liam, like maybe... He actually went, no, I want to get involved. Let me eat the guitar. And yeah, it was a great guitar shot. And he took a really good bump for a guy who isn't wrestling. He took a better bump than Nathan Jones did at any stage in proceedings. In his career. In his career, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) That was one of those guitars that just exploded too, which is always the best. Yeah, yeah. Um, Actually, no, my favorite guitars are the ones that like aren't actually gimmicked, but like they'll forget to take the shit out sometimes. (laughs) And dudes just get whomped. (laughs) Yeah, it gets it with the uh, as uh, uh, Bobby Heenan would say, the El Cabonk, where it just bounces <laughs> off their head. Isn't that what fucked up Jake Roberts? I think so. Yeah, like Honky Tonk hit him with a real guitar, and he just yeah. never was the same ever again. That's yeah. before they even like like rem- like thought about, hey, maybe we should work at the guitars. Yeah, <laughs> we should gimmick a guitars. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't even put your hands brother. up. Just take a guitar to the noggin. Um, it's like um that guy. Uh, I'm gonna really butcher his name, but he had he recently had the the dark side episode when um he went down to Cornette's territory and he was like, oh, we're gonna film this promo where you break a bottle on your head," and he's like, "All right, I can do it," and he's just smacking himself in the forehead with this bottle and it won't break and he's starting to bleed just smacking oh, himself in the forehead. Went to, went to prison, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then Cornette's like, "We can work it." a bedlam. That's yeah, Bruiser Bedlam. Yeah. And Quinnette just goes, we can work it. And he's like, no, 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 I got this. I got this. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, so, yeah, Stroke uh, from 
uh, Jeff Jarrett and he wins. We get another Starrett's promo. And I'll tell you what, watching the second Starrett's segment made me really appreciate how much craft the Nitro girls put into their dancing because this is real, like, uncoordinated, low-effort shit by comparison. How dare you? Sorry to besmirch Australian national treasures, the Starrett's. Hang on, are we short or Australian? No. Um, I believe it was mentioned that they were Australian because I thought oh. about the same thing. I was like, did they like fly this group out? <laughs> yeah, there's no way did they do that. Then we get the moment where I think, it, definitely for me, this is where I absolutely stopped having fun with this show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, good. This is this is the moment for everybody. The universal breaking point. <laughs> we had a King's Court segment. He wanted to figure out who the fruits and suits were. Lenny and Lodi came out. Lodi's beard, appalling, by the way. <laughs> Nearly. Like, oh, yeah. I was just going to say, like, from just knowing this time period and knowing, like, who's involved in these segments, the amount of time that the word fruits was uttered was such a tip off where this shit was going. Oh, I yeah. was like, I know exactly what these motherfuckers are going to do. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, like, you see it coming a mile off, and because we were watching this for the show, we just couldn't get out of the way of it and just had to endure. Um, <clears throat> the only thing more appalling than Lodi's beard in this segment was Jerry Lawler's homophobia. It was bad. Like, not yeah. even, like, subtle. This was, like, straight-up road dog on NWA TNA bad. Yeah. It, like, it went to a place that was not the... You know, there was a lot of kind of gay panic jokes and and things like that around this time, particularly in professional wrestling. And it went far beyond that to a level of genuine hate. It felt like that seems like even in 2001, I'm surprised that like it was anywhere near acceptable. I was very uncomfortable. Like the fruits and suits stuff is like you roll your eyes at it, but it's it's wordplay, not good yeah. wordplay. It's wordplay. But then Jerry Lawler is like, "Gay bad." Do you understand? Do you understand what I'm trying to get across here in this segment? Yeah, he was like just short of getting out the like the PowerPoint to explain <laughs> gay equals bad to him. Jesus. Yeah. Uh he. <clears throat> so Commissioner Brett comes out to. Uh, thankfully take us out of our misery but it feels like it was about half an hour into this segment yeah Brett hates homophobia to be fair <laughs> he tells the... but you say that but he, there was one yeah. line <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he comes out and he tells the, the, the fruits to hit the bricks to get out of here and Jerry Lawler says which ones are you talking about and Brett cracks and like he doesn't even like laugh he just gives it like a smirk and like a like a, a shake of the head like <laughs> you got me on that one fuck um so he gets rid of the the bananas in pajamas he sends lawler back to the announce table and tells him he's not allowed to leave the announce table for the rest of the night and you know the only thing preferable. why are we being would... punished yeah exactly it seems like a babyface thing to do but he was subjecting us to more lawler on commentary if he just kicked him out of the building that would have been the big babyface commissioner move um and then he said he like for reasons that are beyond my understanding he was going to now get road dog back out uh because like as 
you lads have mentioned, uh, Hoovy could not compete in the tournament anymore. He had broken a couple of ribs in the, the opening match. So uh, now Road Dog was going to be in a three-way with Lodi and, I quote, Lonnie. <laughs> they yeah. worked in the same company for a few years. Years, yeah, <laughs> yeah. three years. <laughs> Like, Brett just never noticed Lodi in the halls of WCW or on television. What up, Lonnie? <laughs> <laughs> I want to believe that's what he's called him for the last three years. It's so. like a pet name. They're just boys. Lo- Lonnie Lane. <laughs> yeah. So now we have our three-way dance. Road Dog versus uh, Lenny versus Lonnie. Um, the fear in my heart when I when it was Road Dog versus Lenny Lane and Lodi. Yeah. Because you knew in your head... You you see that on paper, and you know exactly. I've what seen this it. Match is. Yeah, I've seen where this goes. Yeah, I've seen Road Dog versus Bruce. I've been to the the bad times. <laughs> Road Dog's gay slur in TNA was directed at Lenny Lane. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. And this match, yeah, it plays out exactly like you're thinking. It's the, like, I suppose the only merciful thing is that it's not a, a long match, though it did feel that way. But it was wall-to-wall gay panic spots for the three minutes and 50 seconds that it lasted. Um, the only thing I've written here in terms of what actually happens in the match is that Lodi saves Lenny's life after he nearly kills himself on a moonsault, nearly lands on the top of his head off a moonsault. Uh, and Road Dog pins both of them because you see they land in a 69 position. Ha 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 ha. Um, but, you know, I was like, I was looking at where, you know, one body is on top of the other and Road Dog pins both of them. And I said, huh, who knew a young Roman Reigns was such a fan of 2001 Road Dog that he would <laughs> steal this finish for WrestleMania one year? Um, it still makes no sense. It still should be Lenny Lane winning the match. Yeah. I think you'll you'll be shocked to know who was a big time producer in WWE. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, guys, this WrestleMania main event I'm producing. Back in 2001, we had this great finish. I got to to finish for this one, guys. (laughs) He just like (laughs) kicks in the door into the locker room. Guys, I've got it. (laughs) He he brings the tape with him and he's like, guys, 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 you got to watch this. My favorite part of this match is at one stage, uh, Lenny does a seductive pin on Road Dog, and yeah. the ref goes down and counts one, and he counts two, and then stops. And it just stops. <laughs> Nobody breaks up this pin. The ref just stops. He's like, Joe, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, he's like, one, two, and he's like, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> yeah, do you think he just had like an existential crisis in his life? <laughs> This just isn't worth it. You know, actually, like, this was his five minutes of fame, and he's like, one, two, and he's like, if I count three, it's over. <laughs> if I count three, we all have to go to the back. And, and he meant to keep going he, with the show. But it's all over. He meant his career. Yeah, he's like, if I just stay here forever, just never count this, th- this three, we never have to continue. I never have to go down as the official in this match between uh, Road Dog, Lenny, and Lonnie. Oh, we I then get what, though, the, right. the the blondes did a cool like flapjack bulldog combination. Yeah, there, there was one actual good wrestling move. <laughs> one spot in three hours of this show, and it probably is the best spot on the show. Like even um with our own experiences with Lenny Lane teaming up with Bruce and TNA, like they're not 
bad works. He's a good rest. Like he's fine. Like Bruce was like oh, like leg- legitimately one of my like favorite not undercard acts, but undercard workers because everything every time he actually was allowed to wrestle, he would have banger matches. We we go next to Stevie Ray interviewing Buff backstage, and you know what? Like of the WWA contracted talent on this show, Stevie Ray might be the most entertaining. Like, I think he might actually be working harder than almost all the wrestlers. Like, during his two interview segments, I thought he was quite entertaining. He's obviously in great condition. Um, he, You know, his appearance in the Battle Royal notwithstanding, I think he might be the, the, the most entertaining professional wrestler on this show. Yes, because he got a free trip to Australia and he hasn't had to take a bump. Yeah. And he had spent like he's like physically he's probably feeling great because he spent like most of the previous two or three years on commentary on Thunder. Wait for that. Oh, can't wait. We can't wait to to see what Sucker's got to know this week. Um, he um he also definitely like steals the show from Buff Bagwell in the interview mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. For oh, he completely like eats Buff alive charisma wise <laughs> in this segment. Um. Which Buff, Buff, who's supposed to be your big baby face star on this show. Yeah, who is also supposed to be setting up what the stip is for this match that I and the commentary team were incredibly perplexed by during the entrances for Jeff Jarrett versus Buff Bagwell. I had written in some sort of puppies and whips lumberjack match. I think it's a puppies, whips and buffs match. Well, the name of this match on Wikipedia is Tits... Whips and buff match. <laughs> buff. <laughs> Good lord. I like that in the though it's not just like a tits it's and whips match. It's not even it's whips and buff match. It's not, yeah, By that it's logic, not even... shouldn't it be tits, whips, and buff and Jeff Jarrett match? Yeah. It's not even wordplay. It's like <laughs> it's just words. It's just uh, regular you, words. You know that famous old saying, tits, whips, and buff. <laughs> <laughs> this was a match made for internet search engines before that was a yeah. team. <laughs> I can't think of the amount of times in my life where I've used that old gem as like, oh, this is a real tits, whips, and buff situation we've got brewing here. <laughs> I'm going to start saying it because it's fun to say. <laughs> I don't know what context it is to be used in. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, fuck, fuck your ultimate X match. I want a tits, whips, and buff match. <laughs> I wonder. On I, I must investigate later on Cage Batch. Was there ever a second tits, whips, and buff match? Is there I'm like gonna, a history? I'm gonna guess. And the what's buff in it? <laughs> Is there a proud history of this dip? I tell you what. In 2021, yeah, yeah Liam, and was buff actually in the second one? That because that will provide context and whether or not it would be a tits and whips match without buff. <laughs> What's great is that on the Wikipedia page for the tits, whips, and buff match, there is a link to it on the yes. list of types of wrestling matches page. <laughs> but it's just lumberjack. <laughs> yeah. Boo. Um. Yeah. Oh my god. This this match. Um, they come out for this with this incredibly weird step and they just start chain wrestling. <laughs> uh, Buff goes outside the ring and he's uh, he gets looked after quite gently by these apparently 
biased women. Although, you know, to be oh, fair. They made their entrance with him. Yeah, they made their entrance with him. And it's a tits, whips and buff match. That's, that's, I get it now. The end buff signifies that they're on his side. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've thought way too hard about this match, Lane. <laughs> At least someone I mean, is. <laughs> there's no need for the end buff. Well, here's the thing. This match took place. And then a couple of years later in TNA, Jeff Jarrett thought, I've got a great idea for a match where we give fans belts. Once again, inexplicably, Road Dog kicks in the door. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Guys, I've got it. Uh, <laughs> and they're like, probably- PG, please, no. Will you put away the WWA tape? Nobody wants to see it. <laughs> For the right? last time, BG, stop trying to show us the WWA tape. <laughs> Can we like rewrite wrestling history that like all terrible stiffs come from just Road Dog kicking in a door and coming in with a stack of VHS tapes? He's not even in the company. He just kicks in the door. <laughs> it's just, we got to start locking the doors around here. How does Road Dog keep getting in? <laughs> it's because he gets through the doggy doors, obviously. Wanted... <laughs> <laughs> All this would have been prevented if that damn cause... dog collar stayed on. <laughs> it keeps it's... getting off his leash. It's because the security on the door are IDing everybody and they're looking for Road Dog with one G. <laughs> just has like a fake mustache on and he's like ah i'm road dog road dog is my cousin yeah (laughs) who is this road dog you speak of no i'm road dog you're looking for road dog (laughs) (laughs) he's down by the alamo (laughs) hick and bottom um (laughs) We get more slow wrestling here. Jeff finally gets knocked outside. And this is where, you know, the girls are supposed to, like, he's supposed to feel their wrath and he's supposed to get whipped. But these are some of the most, like, weak-ass whip shots you'll ever see. To the point where Buff comes outside, grabs a whip, and, like, shows them how it's done by whipping him. Slick Johnson disarms Buff, but he draws the ire. Of the women who then start whipping Slick Johnson, if which I believe you know, in 2021, it's that Buff Bagwell knows how to use one of them whips. I 100%. believe it's at this moment that Jerry says they're getting the crowd up. They've had me up for a long time now. <sighs> uh... There's another great Jerry uh, line during this match where like they're talking about oh, no, no. he's like, oh, have you ever been whipped? And then Jerry like in the most meekishly, in a way that I can only can be described as a man who has never been whipped before saying oh yeah oh, oh, i have been i've been whipped before <laughs> i know things about stuff yeah i i, I, I am i'm into uh, the, the the sex <laughs> uh blockbuster in the ring from buff and one of the girls counts the pin people celebrate buff celebrates but slick on the outside says that that doesn't count uh, as Buff is distracted by that, Jeff Jarrett hits the stroke and Slick runs in to count the pen. So I don't get this. The referee is watching the tree count be made. Yeah. But he's and too afraid new- of, of, of going in past the, the torrent of women with whips. 
But yet numerous times in the history of wrestling, we have seen non-officials counts, pinfalls. Mm. And yet I say, by the way, as well, uh, speaking of referees uh, and things from wrestling history, uh, props to Rove in the previous match, who uh, at one point, he's just like, what the hell is with these wrestling referees? Precursor to Jim Ross. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jim Jim Ross and Rove should host their own wrestling show together. Maybe that's where JR got his idea for this gimmick because Road Dog busts in the door and goes, <laughs> Jim! <my laughs> Comedy roll of threes, baby. Got it. Oh. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, we get then a flashback to what seemed to be like we get a flashback to uh, a WWE house show. Uh, that appears to pick up in the middle of unexplained marriage issues between the vampires. Uh, then Luna is interviewed. She's absolutely fuming. She seems to give about three or four different reasons as to why her and uh, the vampire warrior uh, are, you know, having disagreements. Uh, I'm unsure, as they had said on commentary, that they were over in Australia for their honeymoon. But then she said that they were over on vacation but also renewing their vows it's totally you know vampires what can i say i also think those things i also think if you are a vampire perhaps one of the last places on earth i would want to go on my honeymoon is australia (laughs) you know it's not noted for its long nights Oh boy, yeah. No, I mean, not you're not wrong. I mean, if there's ever a place for a vampire to be instantly destroyed, yeah, it'd probably be here. Yeah, I. I it's like the opposite of what was that? Uh, thirty days of night. The, the Josh <laughs> thirty Harrington minutes movie. of day. Yeah, oh, wait, it's a really minutes of short night. movie. Just hop <laughs> off the plane. <laughs> the end. Um. Funnily enough, from my attendance at WWA in Dublin, this was one of the matches that was advertised. The two matches that remained intact from this pay-per-view to the house show tour in Dublin were this and Road Dog versus Jeff Jarrett for the title. Except it wasn't in a cage in uh, in Dublin, sadly. I was um, really pulling for the four-way skin to win match. Yeah, no. Uh, no, so was Jerry. I was what, yeah, he he was definitely pulling for it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, I was uh, 11 years old at the WWA show. And let me tell you, if the skin to win match had happened, it would have been an awakening. It, 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 it would have changed me as a young man. I That, that is for sure. Um, we get our black wedding match now. Uh, the story is old Gangrel. He doesn't want to fight his wife. He's just blocking and reversing everything. Uh, she smashes him uh, with a cake. Uh, she then goes to attack him and lands in another cake. And it's at this point that the fine people of your country, Liam, uh, hit the, my favorite high spot on the whole show. As she lands in a second cake, one really disappointed Australian fan yells, oh, no, look at the cake. <laughs> yeah, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> Four-year-old Liam, who's hungry and confused. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I just want, I wanted some cake. I wanted, I wanted my cake and to eat it too, you know. Uh, 
This match is hilarious for the fact that it was a whole match built around the babyface finally having enough and laying out his wife with a wrestling move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that... What a build. <laughs> yeah. He gets uh, tongs to the balls, then a pumpkin to the nards, then he gets like waffled with a bunch of cookie sheets. And it's it, the point at which he, the vampire warrior, has seen enough, as you said, Liam, is that she throws the ring at him and spits on him. And he's like, oh, fuck this. Impaler DDT and wins straight away. <laughs> Hell of a bump on it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? That's the thing is like, it, it's kind of, you know, whatever your mileage is on intergender matches, if they had actually just gone and tried to have a competitive wrestling match, it would have been orders of magnitude better than what they actually did here. And probably and I think, like, easily match of the night if they tried. One thing is like Luna Vachon is a completely believable woman to have that kind of match with like a vampire warrior, right? Like, yeah, I 100% believe that. Uh, I found this match uh, interesting because it, it ticked off the third requirement for this to be an NWA TNA show. Um, the first, of course, being that it started with an X Division style spot fest match. Spot fest quotation marks. Uh, then we had our homophobia. Yeah. And then we wrapped it all up with women getting beaten up by men. This is an NWA TNA show. Do you think at one point, maybe last year, that like... Um... Bray Wyatt and Alexa Bliss were sitting around and they were like, I don't know how we can possibly wrap up this angle when all of a sudden there's a bang at the door, but they'd slid the deadbolt this time. So whoever was trying to get in with a great idea couldn't get in. He just keeps on knocking. He's like, let me in. Let me in. Bray Wyatt's like, I'm sick of this catchphrase. (laughs) To the point where he just like left tv after this it's like <laughs> people keep trying to kick in doors and give me great ideas no what they had was they had um hodor from game of thrones just at the door and they're just screaming hold the door <laughs> <laughs> let me in <laughs> um so yeah impaler ddt and a win next up we have uh jerry lawler's haunted penis match of the night the skin to win match <laughs> um <laughs> Stevie Ray interviewing the the male competitor in drag. Um, and I'm sure they had them rolling in the aisles with this name that they gave this competitor, Sharon A. Wadley. Huh? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, fucking awful, man. I just... I wrote, didn't even take any notes. I mean, this, yeah. this, just fucking, this is just awful shit. I wrote, what the fuck is this? This wrestler is unveiled as Danny Dominion, a local guy, I guess. Um, at one point, um, the match is just him beating up women and stripping them. <laughs> I there was the biggest reaction that this match got was when they did the reveal of like, ah, oh, I'm gonna take their tops off, and there was like, uh, pasties on the nipples or something like something to cover right under it, and it was there was an audible, yeah, there was an audible ah from the crowd. <laughs> yeah, light booing. Yeah. I couldn't believe when I looked this up on Wikipedia that this match only went five minutes. I literally, I wanted to get a stopwatch out to double check it. Like, I refuse. Because like the Gangrel and Luna Vachon match, that kind of flew by and was slightly yeah. longer. Like, that was fine. This match was like six hours long. Yeah. I refuse to believe it's five minutes, nine yeah. seconds. The this more I think... Two, two minutes was enough for Lawler. 
the more the more I think about it, the more like I, you know, I said Gangrel versus Luna, if they had tried, would have been match of the night. It actually probably was match of the night, especially now that I'm coming to the skin to win match and, and thinking back to the black wedding quite fondly. Um this went fucking forever in my head. Stevie Ray uh takes exception to Sharon. Uh, comes out, confronts and punches Dominion in the face. Adara James then uh, Hurricane Rana's Dominion and strips him for the win. Uh, Adara James seems to be like the most, like actually a wrestler of the uh, of the three women that were in here because like she's the one of the three of them that like uh, from the moment that they made their introductions, I was like, well, she's winning because she's in actual wrestling gear. You know, it kind of it kind of tipped the hat to the finish. Um, well, yeah, considering two of them were wearing like bit nothing. <laughs> yeah, they were essentially they had essentially already lost. They were just in bikinis when they came in. Well, you yeah, because like the, the whole the whole point, like they were talking about, was like they could win like via stripping them to their underwear, and I was like, <laughs> old Violet should have walked in and immediately lost the match then by that logic. Yeah, if I yeah, if I'm saying in, like one one of them is like a play or penthouse playmate or something like yeah yeah uh it has anybody done the gimmick where like in a match like this they come out dressed like joey tribbiani in that one episode of friends where he's wearing all of chandler's <laughs> clothes and it's like ah it's a skin to win or it's a bra and panties match i'm going to wear like all the clothes in the world i can't possibly lose that definitely feels like something that should have happened on thunder yeah uh, we will report back. It's, fun- <laughs> it's funny. I was going to suggest the same thing have to have ha- happened in TNA at some stage. <laughs> no, no, no. You can have this one. <laughs> we we are consistently the Spider-Man pointing at himself meme between the two our two podcasts. Um. Next up, Andrew McManus is here in the. My God, the most ham-fisted promotional segment for their UK tour in the world. Uh, Given you went to the show afterwards, I assume it worked on you, Dave. Apparently it was a selling point for my uncle who bought us tickets to go see this. He was just like, I can't wait to see whoever this mystery person is. (laughs) You know, the problem was like your uncle was watching this show, obviously, and was all flustered from the skin to win match. Yeah. And then Andrew McManus slid in yeah. and he's like, oh, I'm going to get him here while they're still calming down. Or he was so like driven out of his mind, terrified by the idea of a haunted penis on commentary <laughs> that he was just like his judgment was impaired and he just bought tickets. <laughs> it's like the ring girl, but it's Jerry Lawler's haunted penis. <laughs> you watch or, a WWE show and uh, six days later you will or, die. <laughs> or he's so invested in the fruits and suits storyline. He's like, I have to find out who these guys are. We got to go to the house show. So, hang on. Was Lawler on the Dublin show? No, it was just JB on commentary by himself, if I recall correctly. Lawler would have went back to the Yeah, after this. I was yeah. just going to say. Yeah, he went back. back he just... went back in November. Like it was the yeah. night after Survivor Series. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So he either was already back or was about to be back, but he, he wasn't on the show I was at. Um, and yeah, this didn't even air until January. So Lawler was already back by the time it aired. Yeah. Oh, which means I got to see the Black Wedding match and the WWA title match before the WWA title match actually happened on the I pay-per-view. I thought you were saying that, like, you were bragging. Like, I got to see the Black Wedding match. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually pulling up the, the card here, right? So do you want to hear what I had to uh, endure on this show? Oh, yes. Okay, so the opening, stop me if you've heard this one before, was Juventud Guerrero versus Psychosis. 
Wow. No ladder match? Uh, no, just a normal match. We didn't even get a ladder Was it for match. the International Cruiserweight Championship? It was, in fact. Wow. Did he retain? Then we had, won? He did, yeah. Who he retained. <laughs> Let it be noted that the International Cruiserweight Championship has been merged with the X Division title. So there's long-term limited here. <laughs> we also then had the Vampire Warrior defeating Luna Vachon in a Black Wedding match. That's your second match. Yeah. Then we had Devin Crowbar Storm defeating Norman Smiley at a tables match. Then we had Conan and Nathan Jones defeating Lenny Lane and Lonnie. I cannot believe that they... I thought Nathan Jones was for sure only for the Australian shows. Yeah, no, he was here. That's why, I, yeah, I went back because I started trying to do a spreadsheet of like... A, how many times I've seen each wrestler live in my like long history of going to house shows and things like that. And I, when I found this card online, I was like, Oh my God, I saw a Nathan Jones match live. And I wouldn't have known, obviously he had, he hadn't been on WWE. And when he came to WWE, I hadn't twigged that I had seen him live. I completely, completely forgot this match ever happened. How could you forget seeing the Colossus of bugger old? Oh, I know. Right. Uh, the next match I had was Disco being defeated by Brian Christopher. TNA dream match for Liam. Indeed. Um, <laughs> yeah, that should have been on this show. Oh, here's a bit of long-term storytelling over from the pay-per-view. Buff Bagwell defeats Stevie Ray. So Ooh. Buff obviously took exception to being overshadowed on his backstage promo. Uh, and then the main event, Jeff Jarrett defeats Road Dog for the WWA World Heavyweight title that hadn't been awarded yet. <laughs> Yeah, it was a real, it was a real classic. I, I would love to have heard your reaction to that show as you were leaving. Like, just enamored with it. Like, wow, yeah. pro wrestling. Thank you, Uncle. So yeah. was Scott Steiner not actually on the UK tour? Uh, I think he was in England, but he wasn't in Ireland. Bastard. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure he does show up because this is what happens. Andrew McManus comes out with a letter. The letter is from Medasia, who hasn't shown up yet in our timeline. Lee. Um, I had to Google who that was. Yeah. What? <laughs> I was like, who the fuck is Medasia? Liam has seen like three WCW matches. Uh, fair. Yeah, I did forget how young Liam is. That's, that's three too many, depending on the era you're looking at. Um, she says her man is going to be on the UK tour and like as if you know I, I think it's like uh, one half of the people in WWA thought okay that'll be enough everybody knows we're talking about Scott Steiner and the other half of them panicked because then they really they really over egg that it's definitely Scott Steiner well, I mean JB would have said all his um, catchphrases but he forgot them just like he forgot buffs yeah, well, they did say something about him. Like, they tried to do a big Papa Pump reference, a really, really like. He's on lots of steroids. <laughs> uh, I was just worried that it was going to be Jerry Lawler talking about pumping. Oh, there's a man who got... got an audible groan. Yeah, there's a disgust. Yeah. There's where he got several pumps in on this show. I'll tell you that. Oh. <laughs> Uh, horrendous my favorite part after this <laughs> Merry is JB. Christmas guys <laughs> <laughs> JB turns around to the crowd then and is like guess what guys we're gonna be back in Sydney no oh, reaction no <laughs> reaction and then, and then they had to be like they're just like we'll be back in Sydney <laughs> what a great like, oh, city this woo! is Sydney Australia 
so there's a bunch of shy talk followed by the starrettes again. Uh, but Disco interrupts the dancing. Mm. The crowd absolutely shit on him. Uh, he calls out the fruits and suits. Uh, then a brawl breaks out. And one of the most surreal sights I've ever seen in my life, the Disco Inferno uh, standing outside a cage fighting with two bananas in pajamas. Uh, they get the better of him quite handily at the start. They whip him into the cage twice, slam the cage door on his face. And then I look away for a moment in absolute disgust. I look back at the screen and one of the fruits and Disco are on top of the cage and the banana is thrown to his doom. Yeah, I, th- I actually flat. thought I thought at one stage the banana popped back up because I saw a banana doing like jumping jacks and being shot. He's like, no, that's the other banana. Yeah. Oh. He should have no sold it. Like uh, the Leo Rush spot that got like a bunch of heat for a while. <laughs> he just stands back up right away. <laughs> oh my Toughest god. Toughest man on the show, banana number one. Then Disco gets in the ring, sings, That's the way. Aha, uh-huh, aha, uh-huh, I like it. <laughs> and bails as the fruit eventually shows signs of life. My favorite actually good Jerry Lawler line is that he suggests that we need to clear the banana out of the aisle in case somebody slips on a banana peel. Yeah, that was that was yeah his only good one of the night. Uh, Bret Hart is out on commentary. Um, Lawler makes the very rare good point and says, like, what the hell was that last segment? Why didn't the commissioner do something about the fruit incident? <laughs> uh, and we... Uh... He doesn't have jurisdiction over fruit and beverage, unfortunately. Yeah, I re- I really wish uh, Brett had went. Who are you to doubt the fruits and suits, Jerry? Yeah, <laughs> just dead serious in the very Brett manner. Yeah, uh, our main event cage match for the WWA World Heavyweight Title: Road Dog versus Jeff Jarrett. Brett absolutely falling asleep during this match, and who can blame him? Um, Me too. Uh, yeah, I I love Jeff repeatedly turning to Brett and saying that he'll make him proud, which is very reminiscent to me of that running bit in uh, maybe this is the first time these two things have ever been compared. This WWA main event is very similar to the movie Freddy Got Fingered starring Tom Green. <laughs> There's a running bit with Tom Green and his dad, who is Rip Torn, I think, uh, saying, I'm going to make you proud, dad. And they both go proud proud and that's what that that's what just it like it's like it's an in-joke between the two of them where jeff keeps saying to brett i'm gonna make you proud and brett's like i'm going you better make me proud hang on i have to ask does liam know who tom green is uh, i know who tom green is because he is a heavy influence on goldilocks okay uh, okay <laughs> have you seen the uh thank you cinematic classic freddie got fingered liam um no Okay. I know it. I've heard of it. Yeah, you should. I'm not saying you should watch it, but there's. A, do you know what? Red Letter Media do a review of uh, of Freddie Got Fingered, where they they genuinely can't figure out if it was intentionally bad or not. If it's like the great work of surrealist <laughs> art of someone deliberately trying to make a bad movie, or whether it's actually are, a bad. Are you, movie. Are, you being, are you trying to tell me that um, Freddie Got Fingered was some Kaufman esque? Um, look deconstruction of the art form look i'm not not telling you that i'm just saying make your own conclusions when you see it um garrett this is this match is so by the numbers like this is 
this is not even a bog standard Jeff Jarrett match. Like it's it's sub that because you've got Road Dog here, who's in fairness blown up from kicking in doors all around backstage with great <laughs> ideas. There's like a three minute headlock in this match, like a yeah. full on three minute just sit there in a headlock. Also, Jarrett bleeds so much, and it's like, dude. What are you doing? Three Come minute on. headlock and a gusher of a blade job. And this match is only 10 minutes long. Yeah. And this they match had feels to, they had to go to commercial at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just wanted the blood so that he could use the, the spliced uh, footage for when they, they brought that up on NWA TNA. Yeah. Because this was the clips of this were, was shown on one of the pay-per-views. Oh, really? Was it uh, this one? It, it would have been of... one of the WWE shows anyway. Yeah. Well, because they, they showed the cage match with Road Dog. That's only, unless they did the cage match again. Listen, it's a touring brand. Maybe they just did this match four more times later Everywhere on. Where they went, I would have enjoyed the show so much more if Jeff had his awesome TNA music. Mm. Mm. Though, to be fair, the start of his music is the WCW music because it's yeah, like yeah. that blah 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 shows in one, and then it says some generic horrible music after that. How much I would have loved it if it was shows in one, and then went to the Macarena. That should have been. Uh, Hoovy's whole thing now. He stole the rock's sure. thing, but he should be like, he ain't dead, he ain't the rock. He should yeah. be like Jeff Jarrett. Or it's like every, every WWE wrestler is like, it starts off with five seconds of the music you know of them and then just cuts to the Macarena because it's the one song that they like. That's a good bit. Dude, Someone dude. should do that. It's the but father, it's the, it's the, the, the father <laughs> Ted Ghost Town by the specials bit. Yeah. Didn't OTT do that on They that did, show? yeah. 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 Oh. So, ref bump, Jeff goes outside for the guitar. He lamps Road Dog with it. He signals to Brett and locks in the sharpshooter. Brett stops the bell from being rung. He does, like, a reverse Montreal. Even though there's no referee to insist that the bell is rang. Yeah, he Quebecs it. Uh... It's actually what they did in Starcade 97, isn't it? It's like, I'm not going to let this happen again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, not on my watch. Um, second ref comes in Road Dog goes for a pump handle Ref bump number two Low blow to Jeff Sharpshooter by Road Dog Brett He's just not letting No one's allowed to finish this match With a sharpshooter I love the um, way Like Brett multiple times on this show Is just like You know I'm not a wrestler anymore And I'm very proud To pass the torch To whoever wins this match And I love that the gimmick is then That Brett doesn't want anybody To win the match Yeah yeah, this is where. But I also love that this apparently makes him the biggest deal in the world because not only does like King turn on him, which you kind of expect. Even JB's like, "Oh, this piece of shit this doesn't piece want of someone shit. to win with the sharpshooter." Yeah, <laughs> he literally says like the WWE fan catchphrase is like, "Bret Hart is a bitter man." Yeah, even though know, like you know you think about it and it's like if I was Bret Hart and I was here to pass the torch, why would I pass the torch to either of these men? He was really hoping for Hoovy to make it all the way through. Yeah, he was. He was. He was rooting for his boy. It could. He be was rooting like, for Lonnie. Really, it, it could be WCW <laughs> like PTSD, but I was fully expecting an NWO reunion. <laughs> like Brett just screws Road Dog, and we get hands like, off the, the NWO belt. music. Hands off the belt to Stevie Ray, which would have been yeah, justice. Sure, why not? <laughs> so Brett takes the belt and starts leaving. Road Dog chases, takes after the belt. He goes back in the cage, tries to hit Jeff. Jeff ducks, hits the stroke, and Jeff wins. Uh, and then we go off the air with uh, Brett in the ring bickering with Jeff Jarrett. He goes to hit Brett with the belt when he turns his back, but Brett turns again. Jeff begs off, and <laughs> Brett puts him in a sharpshooter, and Jeff taps out. So, like, Reach not out. only not only was it an overbooked schmoz, but 
immediately your first WWE champion is <laughs> is tapping out to a, a retired guy, like setting up a match that literally can never happen. It was the biggest pop on the show, though. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And that this is... Match is great because it is kind of like it's it's further proof of the of our our connection with the NWA TNA because Jeff Jarrett and Road Dog turned fifteen times during one match. Yeah, in one ten minute match, incredible! All, all a blistering it, pace. The amount that they managed to pack into this match and it was still absolutely boring is incredible. <laughs> absolutely incredible. A testament to their skill of being dull. Truly, truly. Anyway, that has put an end to our WWE experience for now. Uh, thank fuck. For oh, now is, is awful foreshadowing. That's the most yeah. foreboding thing that's ever been said on a podcast. Well, I do have the second one on my drive. So, you know. That's already been deleted. Yeah. All you, all you, all you guys have to keep me on side or I'm going to, I'm going to make us watch the second one. Um I suppose I go around the table for loose thoughts to wrap up the show. Um, Lee, <laughs> what do you think of this one? I fucking hate you. <laughs> um, this, this, and uh, this is not a bit, is the worst show we have ever watched in the history of this podcast. Three proud years, and this is the Nadir. Yeah, we're coming up to our third anniversary, and then you unleash this on us. Because <laughs> I don't want us to make four years. <laughs> you fuck them out if you keep this up. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this, this is absolutely awful. And I mean, I can only feel bad that you dragged Garrett and Liam along with us for this. <laughs> in, in Dave's defense, when he suggested a WWE show, my response was, that was what I had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Great minds think alike. Um, but I mean, you guys have gone through the dark days of the early NWA TNA, and now you have to come back to this. <laughs> it's basically the same thing. Yeah, I know, but still, like, you said, like, I, I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like such a late era WCW early NWA TNA. It's like perfectly encapsulated into this one moment. Yeah. And it's so shit. (laughs) (laughs) Garrett, your overall thoughts on this show? This feels like, like consciously, they looked at the worst parts of WCW and asked themselves the question, how could we do that worse? (laughs) Like a legitimate conscious decision to take everything that was bad about WCW, remove any like remaining hope that there wasn't like 2000, 2001, any of the little good bits he got in that period and then just present the rest. And that was the show. It's like astounding how bad the show is. And like a lot of the time you watch a wrestling show and it's bad and you're like, I can see what they were going for. You know, you're like, you know, if that had worked out and that had been a better angle and that kind of went bad. It's like, no, you just look at this. It's like, how can any human being any like person who has worked in professional wrestling for any period of time, look at what they were going to present on paper here and be like, ah, we did it. <laughs> I know Garrett, one person who thought it was going to be great. And he's currently trying to kick in my door. To tell me about <laughs> a great idea. Gareth, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there was nothing in Jerry Jarrett's book about WWE. I think he buried it every so often. And rightfully so. 
I think because he watched like one of the pay-per-views. He has one, like there's thoughts on one of the pay-per-views in his book. And I can't remember exactly what he said, but he, he's something to the extent of like, there's no stories here. It's terrible. I can't believe Jeff is associated with this. I wonder like, is there a slight, like, is there in the the, the, the grand multiverse, is there a universe where much like Tony Giovanni's One Night in TNA, Jerry Jarrett tuned into this WWE pay-per-view and just quit the business? It just never came back. TNA died yeah. before it even began. Yeah. Because he watched this shitty ass WWE pay-per-view booked again by JB because they couldn't get Vince Russo. Like they wanted Russo. They went for JB and this is what they got. You, so you, you got to have a hard look at yourself if you're JB and going, I am the second choice on a list where Vince Russo is the first choice. And a harder yeah. look that after watching the show, I'd be like, I probably just prefer a Vince Russo show. Was yeah. it Ed Ferreira not answering his phone? <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think that uh, Jerry Jarrett was like, you know, we got to go. JB, this guy has some good ideas. You know, he's a bright young mind in the wrestling business. Then he watched the show. It's like, we can never allow that man near the book, ever. Uh, Liam, your final thoughts on this program? <laughs> um, on paper, this is the worst card I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> with my eyes, this is the worst card I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, like... <sighs> A lot of time with bad wrestling shows, you can at least kind of laugh at it, but that dies so quickly. Like so quickly does the, haha, this is fun, bad, go away. And to just, this is a dreg. It's, I went, like, I was watching this and I was like, this has to have been three hours long at the point where, and it was like halfway through. And I went and looked at the the timestamp and it was only like an hour and a half in. Mm -hmm. And I, like, I felt a physical change happened in me like <laughs> like dread had overcome me and my all of my like uh, mental fortitude had dropped to zero because i was like i i could not believe that it had only been like an hour and a half it's truly awful it spotlights maybe my least favorite wrestler of all time <laughs> I, I i do not and this is like don't even watch this as fun <laughs> like this is just it's truly awful yeah. um yeah it, it, and I'm I'm glad this is what is forever tied to my country in the wrestling industry. <laughs> this is this is our export, and I'm I'm immensely proud of it. Um, I, the highlight for this for me was when it started, and I was like, "Wow, the Australian national anthem! I haven't heard this before at a wrestling show." And then it was preceded by everything else on this show. Yeah, I am. Um, for me, I think like. I think, Garrett, you tweeted me last night when we were both watching this and you said, like, the show doesn't so much fall off a cliff as it just uh, suddenly flatlines and never recovers. And that is a very good uh, analogy for it because, like, I I messaged you and said that, like, eight minutes into this show, I think I looked at the timestamp and it said eight minutes, and it was, like, right after the, the Brett 9-11 promo and the start of, like, the technical bollocks with Hoovy and saying that Conan and Road Dog were in a skin-to-win match where I was crying with laughter. And I was like, if it just keeps this pace for three hours of being this bad, I am going to have a great time. I don't know what Lee was talking about, saying he hates me uh, and that I know why. Uh, and then, yeah, I think it's universally agreed that by the time the King's Court happens, it just becomes not fun bad anymore. And just like this, that the back half of this podcast has become like us working it out in therapy, what we had to go through. Like I, I watched this show yesterday and I had planned to watch it on the TV in the sitting room with my son and in the house. Oh, mm, I, no. I couldn't do that. Mm. <laughs> 
Instead, I had to go upstairs with my laptop and headphones because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just hear a knock on your door and the door opens and you're like, no, no, get out. And you close the, you close the laptop yeah. quickly. Yeah. Is it, it like, was it, it Lee, was it the moment you heard Jerry Lawler was on commentary that you were like, nope. Do you know what the tipping point was? What? It was Hoovy about to do a promo, and I went, you know what? I'm going to turn this <laughs> off just to be safe. Just, yeah, and you were dead right. Your fatherly instincts were dead right there. Oh, right. That is, uh, what a special for the Christmas season, folks, uh, that we put ourselves through for your listening pleasure. Uh, before we get out of here, though, I'm going to turn over to the boys, Gar- uh, Garrett and Liam. Thank you guys so much, firstly, for uh, having our first ever crossover app here. I feel like I've salted the earth here and we won't have any future crossovers because we'll have to do the second pay-per-view. If we cross over again, I've absolutely torched the relationship between our podcast before it even got to start. But if you'd like to uh, hit your plugs, guys, for where people can check out your very entertaining podcast. So me and Liam co-host a TNA history podcast, which we probably should have said closer to the beginning. But I did. I said I said at the start. Oh, OK. I clearly wasn't listening. I'm just an wow. asshole. Carrot, you're ruining this for us. Well, you don't. Actually, Listen, actually, this I relationship's have, already I, over. I might have said it at the start of the first take. <laughs> uh, so yeah you may be right but nonetheless we go through tna a month at a time covering uh each month and all the shows that happen in that month and all the backstage happenings that happen in that month and every time vince russo tried to stay to coup in each successive month and if that sounds interesting to you you can go just search you've got to be kidding me in your preferred podcasting app and it'll be sitting there waiting for you or follow us on twitter at tna history pod um, yeah, and you can follow Liam on Twitter at the Gleet Muta because apparently he gives out if I don't plug his Twitter on podcasts. Listen, I just say I go on, I I do make my appearances. I'm a wonderful co-host. I give out my my wonderful partner's Twitter account, you know. And then to, as I'm, you know, he gets the chance to do this on his shows. And no, I no mention of little old Liam who puts the effort in. Um, I also do the other thing which he refuses to do. Uh, we also have a Patreon. So if you would like to check us out uh, reviewing uh, the Monday Night Wars of 2010, we have uh, WWE versus TNA there. And we're currently covering Rinka King, if anyone's interested in that. Uh, TNAchat.com. Excellent, guys. And I, yeah, I, I, I got us as soon as I heard you were doing Rinka King, I was like, okay, uh, I, I, I need to, to get back on subscribing to stuff on Patreon so that I can, I can listen to those shows. Um, thank you guys very much, uh, from myself and Lee to, to both you guys and to everybody listening. Have a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. We'll be back, uh, early in the new year with a brand new episode of Days of Thunder. Until then, be safe, be well. Have some fun over the Christmas season. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks everyone for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the Day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past like the Worldcast through the years in the International House of Combat to wrestling of the present with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine and the Truth and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. 
I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the sky